on Thursday, September 15, 1938. The crisis in Europe took a turn. As Robert H. Best reported from Berchtesgaden, Germany, that British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain was returning to London after failed peace talks with Nazi leader Adolf Hitler. Boys Town, starring Spencer Tracy and Mickey Rooney, was playing in American movie theaters. Paul Wehner hit two of five Pittsburgh home runs as the Pirates beat the Giants to take a three-game lead over the Chicago Cubs in the National League pennant race. Lum and Abner, the first nighter program, and Hollywood Hotel were in the CBS Radio Network's evening lineup. And in Baltimore, Maryland, novelist Thomas Wolfe died from an acute cerebral infection. He was 37 years old. His body was returned to Asheville, North Carolina for services at the First Presbyterian Church and burial in the family plot at Asheville's Riverside Cemetery. Where have you gone? Riverside Cemetery. Welcome to Where Have You Gone? People, places, and things that are gone but not forgotten, forgotten but not gone, and the people and places saving these stories for your enjoyment and benefit today. I'm Morris Eckhaus. In our recent two-part episode about lost ballparks, we began and ended our virtual trip at Cleveland's League Park. League Park is 546 miles north of Asheville's historic ballpark, McCormick Field. And McCormick Field is just a couple miles southeast of Riverside Cemetery. Riverside Cemetery in Asheville, North Carolina is close by Interstate 26 and the French Broad River. The entrance is at 53 Birch Street. It opened in 1885. It's not far from U.S. Routes 70, 19, and 23. Maria and I went there in 2019 to see the final resting place of two American literary legends, Thomas Wolfe and William Sidney Porter, better known as O. Henry. Wolfe was born in Asheville and was famous by the time of his untimely death in 1938. The author of novels including Look Homeward Angel and You Can't Go Home Again. O. Henry was born in Greensboro, North Carolina in 1862. He died in New York City in 1910. His second wife and his childhood sweetheart, Sarah Lindsay Coleman, married Porter O. Henry in Asheville on November 20, 1907. They moved to New York City, but Mrs. Porter was of the hills of western North Carolina. Reportedly, in 1945, the city of Greensboro asked Mrs. Porter to have O. Henry's remains moved to his birthplace, but she said no. She lived until 1959. She died at age 91 and was buried alongside her husband. If you like literary landmarks or baseball road trips, I've given you two good reasons to visit Asheville, North Carolina. I'll look for more when Where Have You Gone? Riverside Cemetery continues. We hope you are enjoying this episode of Where Have You Gone? For more information about the show, its topics, and its guests, check out our website, 
at whygpodcast.com. There you can also find recommendations for fascinating books, films, TV shows, and recordings to learn even more about our topics, guests, and ideas. You can also find us on Facebook at Where Have You Gone hyphen podcast and on Twitter at WHYG podcast. And now, back to the episode. Let's start with the cemetery, Riverside Cemetery. You can find plenty of information about the cemetery online, including at the website exploreashville.com. The Explore Asheville Convention and Visitors Bureau is just a couple miles drive east of the cemetery at 27 College Place and loaded with useful information and a gift shop. The website contains a Riverside Cemetery hike written by Joanne Sullivan that covers 3.5 miles of paved roads inside the cemetery gates and leads to the grave sites of Wolf, Porter, and Zebulon Vance, governor of North Carolina during the Civil War. If you have traveled to Asheville, it's likely that the life and career and writing of Thomas Wolfe has piqued your interest. Certainly enough to go another couple miles east, back to the edge of downtown Asheville and the Thomas Wolfe Memorial at 52 North Market Street. The memorial consists of a visitor center with a well-designed exploration of Wolfe's life and the old Kentucky home boarding house purchased by his mother, Julia Wolfe, where Thomas Wolfe lived from 1906 until he left for college at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in 1916, when he was just 15 years old. There's also a walking tour of 29 stops titled From Cradle to Grave, Walking in Thomas Wolfe's Shoes. It stretches north almost to Interstate 240, west beyond Haywood Street, south past Eagle Street, and east to Oak Street. It's a walk of roughly one and a half to two miles to visit all 29 stops. Wolfe became a literary star when his novel Look Homeward Angel was published in 1929. His life and literary career have been written about extensively. They are, along with the legendary editor Maxwell Perkins, the subject of Genius, a 2016 film starring Jude Law as Wolfe and Colin Firth as Perkins. The film got lukewarm reviews at best, but the book, Max Perkins, Editor of Genius, by A. Scott Berg, was a National Book Award winner and a bestseller. Only weeks before Wolf was buried in Riverside Cemetery, he was on a road trip to the Pacific Northwest. Wolf didn't drive, so when he reached Portland, Oregon, he joined two newspaper men, themselves off to see the national parks of the Far West. They drove, Wolf kept a journal. The road trip began June 20 and ended July 2, 1938, starting and ending in the Pacific Northwest traveling south from Oregon down to California and Arizona, up through Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana, and then back west to its conclusion near Seattle, Washington. By July 6, Wolf was diagnosed with what seemed to be pneumonia. He was treated for pneumonia, 
remember these were the days before penicillin came into common use, he developed terrible headaches and was moved to Providence Hospital in Seattle, and from there by a five-day train trip to Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. Surgery on September 12 proved unsuccessful, and Wolfe died on September 15. Wolfe had written to his publisher, Edward Aswell, about the journal, and Aswell wrote about it for the summer 1939 issue of the Virginia Quarterly Review. He wrote that Wolfe had just finished a large manuscript, was tired, wanted a rest, and wanted to make his first trip to the Pacific Northwest. Aswell wrote, He had never lost his small boy's sense of wonder, and he wanted to ride on a streamlined train. When Wolfe died, Aswell asked his mother about the journal, and she found it in his bags, kept in a bookkeeping ledger. It was written longhand in pencil. Jump ahead to 1950. The University of Pittsburgh Press contracted with Aswell as the administrator of Wolfe's literary estate to publish Wolfe's A Western Journal. The log of the trip is a slim volume, just 70 pages from start to finish. Perhaps you've done what Wolfe did and what I have done with a journal. He wrote on all the right-hand pages to the end of his ledger, flipped it over, and continued on the blank pages back to the front of the ledger. He wrote about the places, the landscape, what he ate and drank, the Fred Harvey Restaurant and Hotel in Needles, California, on Route 66. He wrote of Oatman and Williams, Arizona, also on Route 66. He wrote of the urban landscape of Salt Lake City, Utah, and the splendor of Yellowstone National Park. When Wolf was buried at Riverside Cemetery, O. Henry had been there nearly two decades. I'll talk more about Riverside Cemetery's other literary legend after a short break. O. Henry is best known for the twist or surprise ending. He wrote hundreds of short stories, poetry, and nonfiction. His works include The Gift of the Magi and The Ransom of Red Creek. Both of those stories are included in the film anthology O. Henry's Full House. The film is narrated by John Steinbeck and features an all-star cast including Fred Allen, Charles Lawton, Oscar Levant, Marilyn Monroe, and Richard Widmark. In addition to his gravesite, O. Henry has a spot on Asheville's Urban Walking Trail. You can find that at exploreashville.com, Asheville Urban Trail, Walking Tour of Art, Parks, and History. O. Henry's is one of 30 markers in downtown Asheville. O. Henry's marker, number four on the trail, features an image related to the gift of the Magi. If you get hooked on O. Henry, you may want to visit Greensboro about 180 miles east of Asheville, and the Greensboro History Museum. It has a gallery devoted to O. Henry, among many colorful and informative displays. It's an affiliate of the Smithsonian Institute and offers free admission. Close to the museum are the O. Henry Monument and the Greensboro Public Library. The monument is quite distinctive, featuring three pieces, a likeness of the author, a 7 by 14 foot likeness of a book 
open to one of his short stories and a likeness of his dog Lovey. It's located near the corner of North Elm and Bellmead Streets. There's also an O. Henry Museum in Austin, Texas. It's in the home where he lived during his time in Austin during the 1880s and 1890s. No discussion of O. Henry is complete without mention of Columbus, Ohio. He spent three years, two months, and 27 days in the old Ohio Penitentiary from 1898 to 1901 for an 1897 federal charge of embezzlement. He reportedly wrote 14 short stories in the penitentiary. Greensboro and Austin and Columbus have much to offer, but they're not in Asheville. Let's get back on course and finish our business in Asheville. When the body of William Sidney Porter, O. Henry, was put in the ground at Riverside Cemetery in Asheville, he was just getting started. I hope that doesn't sound too flippant. The writing of O. Henry and Thomas Wolfe lives on. In the case of O. Henry, his name is attached to an award, the O. Henry Prize. It goes back to 1918. It's reportedly the oldest major prize for short fiction in America. Wolf has influenced other American writing legends, including Jack Kerouac, Ray Bradbury, and Philip Roth. O. Henry continues to exert influence with the O. Henry Prize. Winners of the prize over the years comprise a veritable who's who's list of American fiction writers. I'm trying to cut back on lists, but I encourage you to seek out the list of the winners and read the prize-winning stories. You might not expect to find any of the writing of Thomas Wolfe in a baseball anthology, but there it is in the Armchair Book of Baseball 2, edited by John Thorne. The entries are in alphabetical order by author, so Wolfe has the honor of having the final word in the book. The entry is a portion of a letter from Wolfe to baseball writer Arthur Mann, another piece of writing from the year of Wolfe's death. It was sent on February 16, 1938. Mann had taken Wolfe to the annual awards dinner of the New York chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America, also attended by Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, and numerous other baseball celebrities. Thorne notes that Wolfe was developing a character named Nebraska Crane, a baseball player. In the spring 1980 issue of the Thomas Wolfe newsletter, Bob Terrell wrote that baseball was one of Wolfe's great loves. He wrote that Wolf used the memory of Jack Corbett to create Crane for his novels The Web and The Rock, and You Can't Go Home Again. Terrell, who died in 2009, was called the Dean of Western North Carolina Newspaper Men and a great storyteller who wrote for the Asheville Citizen Times from the 1950s into the 21st century. In the fall 2011 issue of the Baseball Research Journal, the flagship publication of Sabre, the Society for American Baseball Research, Wynn Montgomery wrote about Crane and his likely connection to the real-life baseball player Jack Corbett. Corbett was born in 1888 in Columbus, Ohio. Since there's no mention that he's buried at Riverside Cemetery, I'll leave his story for now, except to say that he's a fascinating character, especially for me regarding his involvement with the Global League. You can look him up. 
Some sources suggest that Nebraska Crane is a composite of several people Wolf knew. In the notes to his article, Montgomery wrote, Neither they nor we can ask the person who can resolve this debate. The answer rests in Riverside Cemetery in Asheville, North Carolina, beneath a homeward-looking angel. I haven't said much yet about McCormick Field. It originally opened in 1924. Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig played there. So did Jackie Robinson. The home team has one of the great nicknames, the Asheville Tourists. The Tourists were a farm club of the Pittsburgh Pirates, 1961 to 1966. Pirates greats that stopped in Asheville on the way to Pittsburgh include Willie Stargell and Steve Blass. Sparky Anderson managed the club to a league championship in 1968. The original park has been built over, but the place is the same and it's hallowed ground. And it's a beautiful place to watch minor league baseball. Asheville's a short drive, about 30 miles to the south, to Flat Rock at another literary landmark, the Carl Sandburg Home National Historic Site. If you're interested in Sandburg and the Sandburg Home, Listen to the second episode of our first season, Where Have You Gone, Carl Sandburg. It's another 35 miles south from Flat Rock to Greenville, South Carolina, and the Shoeless Joe Jackson Museum and Baseball Library. Finally, there's a connection between Thomas Wolfe and Norman Corwin, the subject of the first episode of Where Have You Gone. Search Norman Corwin, Thomas Wolfe, and with a little luck, you're bound to find Wolfiana, an episode of the program series The Corwin Cycle, broadcast on WNYC Radio in 1942. It's described as a rhapsody for radio in tribute to poet Thomas Wolfe. It was originally one of 26 by Corwin. The WNYC version can be found at wnyc.org backslash story backslash Wolfiana, W-O-L-F-E-I-A-N-A. It's a good example of the work of Corwin and of Thomas Wolfe. I'm Morris Eckhouse, host of Where Have You Gone?, Our music was composed and performed by Harry Richardson. Our logo was designed by Jeff Santala. The Where Have You Gone podcast is produced by Alan Eckhouse. Where Have You Gone is a production of The Morwin Company.